Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. You know, I just feel like we're supposed to do something as Christians. Um, And what that something is, I believe that the Lord will show us. And for us, it happened to be adoptions. No, adoptions aren't for anyone, but they certainly are in the heart of the Dudley family. Chantel wears many hats. She's the wife of Kent Dudley. She's also the mother to 17 children and the grandmother to eight grandchildren. She's a speaker at women's events and the founder of Real Life Women's Conference. Today on Connection, she's going to share what led her into this world of adoption and why she has chosen to adopt children with medical needs. We're going to hear that and so much more today on Connections. Chantel Dudley joins us today. She's the founder of Real Life Women's Conference. She is also a motivational speaker. We want to get to know you a little bit better. Not only are you a motivational speaker, you're um, a woman who wears many hats. You're a wife as well as a mother, but not just uh, any mother, mother to 17 children. And you also have six grandchildren or seven. I don't know if that seventh that was on the way is already here. Well, I actually have eight grandchildren. There we go. So tell us all about yourself and about your family. Okay. Well, I am um, the wife to Kent Dudley. He is a um, inspirational country singer, Christian country artist. Um, I'm the mother to 17 children. Kent and I uh, joined our families back in 2004. He had three kids and I had four. And we probably about a year and a half into our marriage, um, we were at a church uh, that we were going to and the pastor and his wife had adopted their second child. And they were on stage. The baby was um, being prayed over. He was medically complex child and was not expected to live very long. And that is when I felt that the Lord had said, this is what I want you to do. So I leaned over to my husband and said, honey, I think we're supposed to adopt. And he didn't pass out, but (laughs) definitely not on board (laughs) at the time. And, you know, so I just, I took it to the Lord and prayed and said, if this is of you, Lord, you have to touch his heart and let him know that this is of you. Uh, Three weeks later, he came to me and and said, okay, I'm ready to start talking about it. So we prayed and we had anticipated adopting one child. Kent has um, or had had an uncle with Down syndrome. I had an uncle with Down syndrome. And our oldest biological child is developmentally delayed. He's special needs. And so in our perfect scenario, we anticipated that we were going to adopt a Down syndrome child. And we just weren't getting matched with one. We kept getting matched with a little boy that to me, he appeared like he had cerebral palsy. And I didn't see that as an option for us. Um, I didn't really know anything medically. And and I have a really bad back. I have a degenerative arthritis in my back. And so I didn't feel like that would be a good fit. And we prayed about it. And the Lord told us it was um, the right fit and that he was to be our son. So we brought Travis home. And after that, you know, learned his medical needs, learned how to care for him properly, And the Lord just brought more children along our path. 
thankfully he did not show us his vision in the beginning um, because I don't know that we would have said yes. Uh, right. But <laughs> I'm glad he doesn't disclose everything all at once. Um, but over the course of the next several years, we ended up adopting 10 medically complex children from the United States foster care system. Now, it's one thing to adopt. That in itself is difficult enough, but to adopt all of these children with all of these medical needs, what is it about that? I know you talked a little bit about it, but what, what has inspired you to do this? What made you feel called and like you, you needed to do this? You know, I just feel like we're supposed to do something as Christians. Um, and what that something is, I believe that the Lord will show us. And for us, it happened to be adoptions. Um, I definitely was not seeking any children um, that were medically complex. I definitely wasn't seeking any children that uh, the Lord would call home before us. Didn't see that as a possibility, to be honest. Um, you know, I he gives all of us gifts and talents. And I think it's our responsibility to walk that out and to do our best in what he's called us to do and his reasons, you know, are his reasons. But I know that my, my children needed me and, and truthfully, probably more than them needing me, I needed them. Um, Hmm. I, I grew up very, um, in a, in a very hurtful home. I was sexually abused growing up. Um, I have a brother who tried to take my life multiple times my father was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And so, I mean, there was just a lot of hurt and pain growing up. And, and I think being able to work through all of that, um, having a relationship with my dad now and um, forgiving my brother has led me to be compassionate towards the hurting and the broken. And, and that's, and my husband grew up in a great home where he was loved and adored, but he has such a compassionate heart towards the less fortunate. And so that just really, you know, we blended together well that way. And, and it led us to this path of adoptions. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, caring for that many kids with complex needs is very difficult on the best days, but Yes. Um, yeah. How has it formed you as a, a human being and a Christian uh, in your faith, helping these kids and loving them and, and getting their love in return? Yeah. You know, it has really taught me that there really truly is not much at all in life we can do and go through without the Lord's help. Um, you know, on, on our best days at when we had, you know, nine Um, of the 10 children here, we didn't have them all here at the same time in our home, you know, that meant that we were juggling um, feeding tubes schedules, nine of the children had feeding tubes and and, um, medications around the clock. Um, We had four trach babies. So we had to have skilled nursing in our home um, for a for a season. And being able to be (laughs) a home, a Christian home behind closed doors, you know, being able to be at our best and, and be truthful and honest who we are, not just out in public, but behind closed doors. We had a lot of 
needs that we were meeting and not just with our children, but with staff that would come in our home as well. Um, you know, being able to be transparent at all times is sometimes not easy. And, and we were able to juggle that, I think, with, with, you know, integrity and, and several people that worked in our home came to church with us. Several got saved um, while in the process of our home, you know, going to church with us and doing their duties as nurses or, or care providers. But I think juggling <laughs> multiple medical children at one time and their appointments, our doctoring um, is done down in St. Paul, Minnesota. So it's a four hour drive for us. So an emergency snowstorms, appointment scheduling, um, it, it was all a wonderfully complex juggling act. <laughs> you mentioned loss a little earlier and about mm-hmm. um, your children leaving this world before you. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that and what that's been like. Yeah. Um, when we adopted our children, we anticipated in our perfect picture that These children would come from foster homes. They would be placed in our home. We would be able to find the best medical treatments for them and that the kids would thrive um, and that they would someday be with all of their brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews at our funeral. And looking back now, that was naive thinking. It was hopeful thinking. Um, because our kids were so complex and are so complex. In 2014, uh, the Lord had called us to adopt a trach baby. And that is something I said we would never do. And we went down to Florida to meet him, to be trained by the um, hospital workers and nurses to take care of him. And while we were there learning all of his cares, a medical team had approached us about his, um, a little girl that was in the same foster home, his foster sister, and asked if we would take her. And we said no. And over the course of the next few weeks, we found out a little bit more about her. And we found out that she was palliative care and that she didn't have long to live at all. And I just said, no, that's not something I want our family to experience and go through. Mm-hmm. I was in my bathroom getting something out of my closet, actually, and the Lord showed me a picture um, of her funeral and I saw a grave and I saw two people standing there and I stood up and I said well that is so tragic there's only two people there to mourn her death and he said you're missing it he said there's only two people there to celebrate the life I gave her wow right then I called the social workers my husband was out mowing the lawn (laughs) but I called (laughs) the social workers and I said get her ready we'll take her I said, I've been looking at this wrong. And it was a long process because she was so frail. They couldn't find any um, transportation for her to bring her from Florida to Minnesota. And eventually we said, if you would hire a nurse of our choosing, we'll set up our van like a rolling ICU and we will come down and get her. We did that. And she lived for two and a half years. Um, And it was the best two and a half years, I think, of my life. And um, we ended up ha- having hospice involved in the end. 
and I rocked my baby girl to sleep um, mm-hmm. for three days um, until it took her to pass. And and um, ten months later, our daughter Kaya wasn't feeling well. She was born at nine ounces, and she was fetal alcohol, nonverbal, and it appeared she might have a stomach flu. And so we called the doctor and she was being the um, intensivist at the hospital at the time. So we took her to the hospital and they were running some tests on her. I ran home to meet with a social worker on one of our other children. And as I walked in the door, my phone was ringing and it was the hospital. And they said that she had passed and they were trying to resuscitate her. And they needed me to tell her, tell them when to stop that my husband wasn't able to. And I rushed to the hospital and there was my sweet little girl on the hospital bed hooked up to machines with my husband laying over her feet sobbing. Mm. Um, and I didn't think I would re- ever recover from that, um, those two losses. And then in 2019, my son, Jeffrey, the first trach baby, um, he had been wrapped and smothered in a blanket by his birth mom and he was a healthy baby. And she ended up doing CPR on him, but he had a lot of neurological issues. He had been out, they think, for about 15 minutes without oxygen. And that little boy took his last breath Um, in 2019. Hospice was involved. And then six weeks later, my son Travis was in the hospital having some tests run on him because he had lost his ability um, to sit up. And we didn't know why. And he ended up dying six weeks after Jeffrey um, in 2019. And so it was tragic. And I'm not going to say that I thank the Lord (laughs) that I um, said, thank you, Jesus. They're in a better place. I I was angry. I was very hurt. Mm -hmm. And I was angry. Our kids were suffering. My grandkids were suffering. And my faith was really shaken by that that's what i was wondering like so much heartache and uh tragedy and and trauma really Mm -hmm. how does your faith hold on in the midst of that or or how does Mm -hmm. it recover eventually in in your circumstance thankfully it recovers um because i chose to let it recover um you know after Travis died, I was sitting in my room. I'd gotten to the point I didn't leave my bedroom uh, much. My husband started doing family dinner nights on Monday because he knows I love to cook and knew that that would get me out of my room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our grown kids and our grandkids that could make it would come every Monday night and, and mama would cook dinner and the healing process started then. But I was sitting on my bed and I just said, Lord, Show me people who have been through the worst times of their life where they were ready to walk away, but they didn't show me those people. Let me hear their messages. And I really started researching female speakers and because I was longing to hear, but I didn't really trust him. I wanted, I wanted to be able to see that people walking right now made it, you know, because I was just so broken And it was during that time that the Lord birthed in me um, a company that my husband and I started with our business partners, Real Life Women's Conferences. And it was talking about, you know, when we have the conferences, we really talk about being real, about being raw, about being honest and transparent, 
and not just putting on a mask saying, you know, praise God, they're in a better place or, or, or not talking about the issues that we've gone through in childhood, you know, and really digging deep and, and pulling out roots um, from things we may have gone through in our childhood. COVID ended up hitting and we weren't able to have our conferences um, right away. And our son Mathis needed a bio um, valve replacement in his heart. And in, on February 4th, we took him to a hospital for that replacement and he ended up getting an air embolism and died. And he was the light in her family. He was the actor. He was the, you know, he, we always told him, Mathis, the world does not revolve around you. The lights are not on. Cameras are not rolling. Knock it off. Dial it back <laughs> a little bit. And he would just laugh. And, and you know, we found out eventually that the world kind of did revolve around him. Our world did. And um, that was that was one of the most difficult things I've ever been through in my life. We ended up making him um, a donor because we wanted an exclamation point at the end of his story and not a period is, is what I told the doctors. And, um, and so we had to wait that process out for him to be declared brain dead. And my husband didn't think he would ever sing again. He didn't think he would ever preach again. He still hasn't preached, but he started singing two months ago, finally. Hmm. And um, I was able to share this fall the story of my children and our family and our losses and our grief and that God promises in John 14, 18, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We just have to hold on to him through those times. And he understands our grief. He understands our anger. He's big enough for our doubts and questions and he's going to be there to love us through the process. What amazes me about your family is that even in the midst of all this and this loss, you still, you still, you were taking these children in even knowing what potentially could happen down the road. Mm -hmm. What keeps you going and what, keeps you wanting to do this the kids are what keep me going um after travis died we said no more they had approached us the county had approached us about more children and we said that we were done um some really good friends of ours their son-in-law or ex-son-in-law um shook one of his babies his, his, the, our son, Christian, we ended up adopting him is a twin and he ended up shaking him and he has a lot of brain trauma and a lot of issues because of this. And they had been trying for five years to get their son or four years, excuse me, to get their son into our home. And we had said no after Travis died and the social workers came to us and said, look, we're trying to respect that you're grieving, but it is our job to find a place for these children. And we have found another home for Christian. You have said that he is going to be your son someday. This is the last time we can ask you. And so we said, okay, uh, we would do it. We did end up adopting him. We've inherited his family as our family. And after 
Mathis died, we asked the county to rip up our paperwork. And we said we would never do it again. Um, in the last couple of months, our son, Danny, who was six, he lost his best friend with Mathis. Those two were inseparable. And he's been asking us to adopt again. And we told him no. Our son, Vante, who's 18 and autistic, has been asking us to adopt again. Our older children are asking us hmm. to do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now we've just said the paperwork is actually sitting next to me um, wow. on my desk. And we're praying about it, you know. Um, I don't want our tragedy of our kids. It would, it would really frustrate my son. Mathis and my children now that are able to speak up in heaven, it would frustrate them if their loss prevented other children from having a home. Hmm. But at this point, we're not ready. We're it is in the it is in the thinking though. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, we can hear your heart right wanting to help more, but at the same time, you've been through so much heartache too. Uh, one thing I've noticed in your story earlier is uh, never say never with God. You said, I would never <laughs> adopt babies with these health problems, right? I can handle these ones, but not that yeah. one. Mm-hmm. What yeah. have you learned about uh, submission and discernment through your journey? And yeah, just yeah. interested in hearing that. And I think that'll help other people figure out their own. Well, first of all, I want to say, gee, thanks. I'd forgotten that I wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) Darn it. (laughs) You know, who am I to say no to the king of the universe? Why, Why do I feel I have a right to assert my opinion over his? You know, he gives us an opinion an option. He's not going to force us to do anything, but you know, there's nothing I want more out of my children, my, 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 any of my children to be loving and caring and to be obedient. I want them to know my voice in a crowded room. And for me, it's a snap of the finger is what I do. I don't raise my voice. I snap my finger and my kids all look Um, but they're so in tune to their mama. I think that that's a reflection how we're supposed to be so in tune to our papa, you know, that, um, if he asks us to do something and if if he gives us the gifts to do it, because I had nothing, I mean, I could not literally, I could not change a bandaid if I saw blood without passing out. And so I know that him placing these medical children into my home and him giving me the knowledge and the wisdom to take care of neurological children. That's, that's all him. That, that is nothing from me. That's all from him. Who am I to say no to him? I can say not right now, I think, because that's what I'm doing, (laughs) but you know, I just want to be his obedient daughter I want to do what he's called us and asked us to do. For those who may be listening and are thinking adoption is not for me or I can't do this or, you know, this just isn't what I meant to do. What would you say to those people? Well, maybe they're not meant to do it. 
you know, not everybody is um, asked to adopt. Not everybody is capable or able, but everybody is able to do something. You know, in Matthew 25, if we read, the, the Lord is going to judge the nations by six different things. He's going to separate us by six different criteria. It says when you fed the hungry, you gave a drink to the thirsty, you took in the stranger, uh, you visited the, the sick in the hospital and in the prison. You did it unto the least of these. You did it to me. And when we didn't do that, we didn't do it to him. You know, and they asked, when did we do this? When did, when did we do this for you? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, my brother, and you did it unto me. I think as Christians, we are prepared and called to do something, you know, whether it work at a soup kitchen or, or take a dinner to a family who's grieving or to um, give a coat to a child that we see that, you know, isn't properly clothed for winter. Um, there's just so many things and we can teach our children to be looking for those moments too. Hmm. That was one of my questions for you as we head into Christmas, but not even the Christmas season, like any time in general, how can we help parents who are grieving and hurting? We, we've all had friends go through tragedies, mm-hmm. I'm sure. And we feel so helpless. We don't know what to do. And we end up just saying, let me know if I can do anything. And then we don't do anything, right? What can right. we do? Right. Because we mean it well when we say it. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, is the person grieving isn't going to reach out. Yeah, they're, they're not, not gonna going ask to ask for say, help, right? Because, you you know, when you're grieving, to me, at my the funerals of my children, I told my husband and my children, I said, I'm at my most vulnerable place in my life. I am standing up here, it feels like naked, for all to see my heart ripped open and pouring mm. out. I said, it is the most personal time. I don't want it to, to be before everybody. I just want to do this privately and alone. And I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. I'm an introvert. I'm actually quite shy. And for me, it's it's just such a private moment between me and my family. However, mm. what I have found as I'm talking to so many other mothers and and parents that are going through the process of grief is we need to talk about it. We need to say, Hey, maybe don't say that at that time to a grieving mother. You know, I I had somebody, we were planning the funeral for Renaya and I hadn't eaten in days. And my husband took me to a restaurant and this gal, well-meaning Christian gal slid into the booth next to me and said, Hey, put a smile on your face. Stop crying. She's with Jesus. Why aren't you happy? I almost started a laying on a pans ministry at that moment. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But but my husband saved her. Wow. (laughs) There's things we don't need to say at the time. Now, am I happy now that my, children are in heaven. There's part of me that is, but there's part of me that knows that we're going to take a family photo this Christmas. And there's going to be five that are in the family photo and that's okay for me to be sad about it. Yeah, You know, I think, I think the way that we can help the most truthfully is just by giving a hug and saying, I'm so sorry. We had people that provided us with meals and 
believe it or not, the last thing you are thinking about is what time of day it is and if you need to cook or buy groceries or, you know, drink a glass of water. I mean, you just grief brain is real and and you're just not thinking in those times about what would be a normal daily activity. And so I'm I'm thankful for the people that sent us meals, um, brought food over. I'm thankful for the times that people came over and rocked and read to some of my children so that I could go in my room and cry privately for an hour or two. Hmm. Um, there, there's so many, they might seem so small to the person doing it, but to the person going through loss, it's huge. Yeah. Maybe that's a great reminder. Like the smallest things that seem like we're not doing much, those probably are the most practical and the biggest oh, things sure. in those moments. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. Thank you so much. Like we could talk to you for hours, I'm sure, but we know this is, um, yeah, it's really been something to have you open up your heart and share these difficult moments with us. I know it'll encourage people. Colleen, Colleen discovered you on Instagram. Tell us a little bit about how we can find you on Instagram or your website and your husband's social media as well. And we could follow along with you. You know, I'm, I'm an older woman. I have eight grandkids. And so Instagram was totally foreign to me and actually <laughs> truthfully a little scary. And we were in Iowa and, and we, our target market was a little bit older for our conferences. And so I met with a young gal and I said, what are we doing wrong? And she says, well, you have no social media presence. And so she told me what to do when I started doing it. And I think I had 11 or 12 followers. And then I put the video of Mathis's Heroes walk um, on Instagram and it has just exploded. And so I'm going to be using that platform to really share with the adoption community and special needs community, but it's Chantel Dudley 68 on Instagram on social media, or excuse me, on Facebook. Um, I'm under Chantel Dudley. <laughs> so I don't have anything original. Um, Chantel Dudley, or you can find us on our website. It's unifiedproductionsgroup.com. Thank you so much for making time for us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out. I appreciate you. And thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation again, or any of the other conversations that we've had, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.